0: Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast.
1: Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own
2: listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 47, Glitter Rock. Hey, Tony! what the hell were you doing tonight on stage? You guys sounded horrible. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the lyrics. Did you write
0: them? Oh, God, I hate the super stuff. Gonna make the Beatles look like ants. <laughs> yeah, aren't we? <laughs> I don't remember. Huh? I mean, uh, that's what people are going to be saying. About the Beatles. I don't remember them, you know, when we get really big. I mean, the Beatles, like, insect infestation. <laughs> <laughs> How did you girls get past security? We use our feminine wiles, if you know what I mean. I would like to use them on you, too. Well, I must say, this is a neat way to get undressed. Look, Al, this is demeaning to them. Yeah, but they're dying to be demeaned with you. Repeatedly. I swear, it boggles the mind. Yeah, look, I'm gonna boggle you. Now, tell me, what is going on? April 12th, 1974. Your name is Jeffrey Mole, and you're the lead singer in an English rock group called King King Thunder. Thunder. Yeah, i never heard of them before. Well, you were kind of a nerd back then. You wouldn't know them. So what, I'm here to help them play Madison Square Garden or, or become bigger than the Beatles, right? No, no, you don't remember. What? Well, this was big news. It was in the papers, on TV. What? Well, two nights from now, right after the concert, some crazy nut. Stabs you just as you're getting into your limo. You get killed.
2: I shall begin. We are all just travelers in space and time. Welcome to the Quantum Leap <laughs> Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher D. Philippus. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. <laughs> and you are listening to the episode. For glitter rock, if you couldn't tell by my singing, I just I needed to belt that out. It's been stuck in my head all day. I probably got the words <laughs> wrong, but <laughs> hasn't it for all of us? I,
3: I don't know. I think they. I got rock the redhead. That's the one that's stuck <laughs> in my head. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you were oddly on last time when we did the preview for this show. you said, "I think we should just play a guitar solo, and you went into a guitar solo that was almost exactly rock the redhead It matched <laughs> was it beat for beat tone for tone when i when I matched the tracks together, Yeah, how musical. Wow. <laughs>
3: I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. Just subconsciously.
2: <laughs> you knew what you were doing. Yeah. I think you might have. You're a pro. You're a Total pro. Total professional.
3: You take the guitar like this and you go... So th- this music's
2: more your speed, Chris, isn't it? Um, Power ballads from the 80s slash 70s, I'm... Um, I guess I have more, more experience with this kind of stuff.
3: You seem to not like the more girly stuff. You know, you like kind of Metallica <laughs> and stuff like that.
2: No, I am not a Metallica fan. So this isn't another Piano Man for you?
0: Somewhere in the night.
2: No, it's not another Piano Man for me, but it's... it's I, um, wow, that's odd. I like Led Zeppelin. Ah, I like okay. Van Halen. Yeah. I love The Who. Um, Hairbands from Who? the 80s. <laughs> <laughs>
0: who? yeah that's right pete townsend of the who of the what
2: best joke in the episode oh, and we dude. will get there but hair bands from the 80s yeah i grew up with them because i grew up in the 80s and i you know their mileage varied but i think that this was really a takeoff on kiss and, oh sure. Yeah, hey, give yeah. us a kiss. Give us a kiss. We'll get into that, but <laughs> I, I think I will tell you this. I know I made fun of some of the music in Piano Man as being a little bit too adult contemporary for me and Private Dancer for being too girly, but this is really on par with the kind of stuff that was coming out in that era. So I have no really complaints about the music. If I down this music, it's the way I just generally down a lot of the music of that era. But I'm not even going to down the music on this one, guys. So I hope that doesn't ruin the show for you. I, I don't want to subvert your expectations. I thought you were, you were thinking that you were going to get Grumpy Chris again, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I didn't think so. I don't know. It, it tends to surprise me when it's Grumpy Chris. I'm like, hey, I like this. <laughs> all right. Ugh, uh. Let me tell you about this one. <laughs>
4: <laughs> are, are we all going to agree here that it's actually a good episode? This, this could be an interesting one.
3: Yeah, I liked it. I, I think maybe we all did
2: yeah i I guess we're going right to the initial impressions without the 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 lead-up, but we all know what this one's about. It's about spandex and groupies and power ballots, <laughs> and uh, I thought that on on the first watch, I was going to really dislike it. I thought it was going to be cheese ball. But then on the second watch, the second rewatch anyway. I really loved it because it was so cheeseball and everything. So, yeah, there's a lot. And it's not just that. There's a lot to recommend to this episode. So um, do you guys want to cement this a little bit more? Can we get some first impressions on Glitter Rock, Allison?
3: Uh, It's good. It's a solid one. Got lots of fun music, uh, lots of kooky costumes. It's good stuff.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. It's a it's a fun episode. There's uh, very little to complain about. Um, love the the songs and the incidental music. Um, there's some really fun incidental in there, and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a good
2: episode. And I thought it was just a great Gonzo leap in, and mm-hmm. it was just it was something that Quantum Leap really doesn't indulge in a lot, but this time it does and it works, which is just this complete fantasy wish fulfillment. And I <laughs> yeah. think that. This is more specifically complete fantasy wish fulfillment for white dudes of a certain age.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Perhaps not for Sam. <laughs> but definitely for Chris Ruppenthal no. and for me and yeah. for, I suspect, maybe Matt. I'm not no. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you ever want to be a rocker, Allison?
3: no i never wanted to be a rocker but i feel like a lot of things especially of this era definitely had like episodes like this you know where they like you're saying kind of this fantasy fulfillment or characters imagine themselves as the rockers and in the costumes and you know uh it's it's a lot of fun and what costumes (laughs) can i just say okay Sam and Al both look very good in this episode. Very good looks going on. Yeah. Uh, I particularly love um Al's got the stop sign jacket uh which uh, I adore. Uh I don't know, like listeners uh, probably don't know this but I own a uh, version of that jacket <laughs> cuz it's yes. not a uh it's not a Jean-Pierre Dorliac design. It's uh designed by uh, Michael Hoben. And so I found that for sale online. So uh, I guess if anyone's looking for a, a stop sign jacket of their own, um,
4: <laughs> that's what you look for. That's where to go. Michael Hoban.
3: I also liked the, the look that Sam had with uh, the, the suspenders and no shirt and and the tight <laughs> red pants and the, uh, the green uh, over jacket. That's, that's a good look.
2: Didn't he have a tattered sort of spandex thing going on with the suspenders? It looked like it was very complicated.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like the the gold lame overlay with big shoulder pads and all the straps and stuff that goes over it. Yeah,
4: I I actually felt, I don't know if it was intentional, but it seemed like Al's palette was a little bit more muted this week to kind of give Sam the chance to really, uh, Sam's costume to really pop.
3: I don't know if it was. I think it's just because Sam was so over the top, it, it made him seem... <laughs> maybe it was. You know, more toned down than <laughs> usual. Because he still had, like, he had, like, the silver jacket mm. and this polka dot tie going on. Oh, that tie like...
2: looked like it was strangling him. That thing looked oh. so uncomfortable. <laughs> it wasn't even a tie, it was like a ribbon. It was.
3: I don't think that was ever reused. I think maybe that tie kind of got scrapped after that. <laughs> I think...
2: Part of the charm of this episode, because that was again something I was ready to bag on on the first watch, but then just embraced on the second watch, was was the costumes being so utterly ridiculous, both for Sam and and Pharrell. And I understand with Sam that Jean Pierre wanted to go for that glam rock look with all the the ripped spandex. But I mean, come on, fright wigs and purple fedoras and everything they wore was just a weird pastiche. I mean, when they were in that mall scene, they're wearing these cut-together zoot suit-looking things that look like something Harper <laughs> Marks would have worn. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, okay, jumpy, pierre you got that glam part down, but... There's no real rock going on here. It's all I don't know. There's no hardcore like, edge to it. It's all like, just like what your dad or your principal would think all the young kids were into. <laughs> I don't
3: Ooh, know. Harsh. What about in like Van Halen? I feel like they would wear something like like this. And then the Kiss band, of course, they had th- that look going on with the uh, the wigs and the makeup. I mean, it was sort of a you know merging of a lot of these things. I've got to yeah. say that
4: you guys have both just mentioned the wigs. The the wigs they wear on stage, they're really fun. The wigs that the actors are wearing as the characters, <laughs> so bad. Yeah. I <laughs> didn't notice that? that. I thought that oh, was their real hair. Yeah, no, no, no. The guy
3: who was, uh, <laughs> the, the, bad the, I wigs. don't remember the character's name, but he was wearing like the Bob Marley shirt <laughs> with the suspenders over it. Like his yeah. hair was particularly bad looking. Yeah.
2: I think that was Jimi Hendrix, not Bob Marley. Maybe he was doing You're right. I think you're right. It probably (laughs) was
3: Jimi Hendrix. Uh, (laughs) Now I've been revealed I don't know my musicians. No! Sometimes you are just pitiful.
2: So, I mean, as a rock and roll fan, Allison, you're right. I think this was more in like a David Lee Roth wheelhouse for the look. And I guess maybe the disconnect came for me was they were going for more of a kiss homage with, with the makeup and kiss was always more leather and hardcore, not so much flash and color. It was well, do you like, want him you know. to be
3: exactly Kiss?
2: Well, can we just say I'm surprised that Gene Simmons has not sued them yet? Because there were yeah. some real blatant Kiss references. And even, I don't know, if it's, is it an homage or is it a ripoff? There was one sort, sort of King Thunder album cover that was hanging up in the in the dressing room <laughs> yeah. that was a direct ripoff of Kiss's first album cover. And that's... Um, that's very I,
4: true. I, I said this line as as we started the podcast. They stand in front of that album cover and one of the characters says, Give us a kiss. Give us a kiss? Uh,
2: (laughs) I never noticed that. I gotta watch it third time. They
4: could not
2: be more obvious.
3: Well, yeah, it's pretty blatant. (laughs) I think Kiss is probably pretty used to, like, a lot of homages to them, because, I mean, they are one of the most iconic rock bands, and, like, look-wise, it's so easy to say, that is KISS, yeah. you know? so Yeah,
2: no, definitely, yeah.
3: I don't think it was, it was as direct as you're saying, but uh, it is definitely an obvious reference.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it also just might be that my barometer for KISS is especially sensitive, because growing up in the 70s, like, 77, 78, when I was 7, 8 years old, KISS was Everywhere. They were huge. And we used to listen to the album Rock and Roll Over all the time, all day long. Love Gun. I even remember getting, I must have been like second grade, and I was in grade school and I won like a raffle. I don't even know what was going on. It must have been part of an assembly. And I remember that I won a kiss puzzle of the cover oh. of Love Gun. And Love Gun might have the most inappropriate cover for a second grader (laughs) that you've ever seen. It's just the band standing on stage and, you know, fawning at their feet are these women like all scantily clad that they just basically (laughs) like, yeah, we'll bang you, you know, and it's just like, (laughs) what messages are we sending here? So that sounds like the theme of the episode. Yeah, right.
3: (laughs) So they were popular back then. Oh, Um, they were huge. Were you actually into them? Like, were you a fan of KISS?
2: I was a fan of sort of the mystique of KISS because you also have to remember at that time they had the KISS comic book and everybody was just like, you know they put their blood in the red ink, right? So every every <laughs> comic book has KISS blood in it.
3: They took down the Phantom of the Park. I don't believe it! Yes,
0: you can believe it.
2: And now on NBC Saturday Night at the Movies, KISS meets the Phantom. And the Phantom of the Park had just come out. So it was just like, wow, there's a KISS movie and nobody knew it was free. Freaking awful. I don't believe it. It was just like awesome, <laughs> a Kiss movie. So, I was more caught up in the movement and my brother to this day is still the real Kiss fan. Um, I know most of their stuff because of growing up in that time and osmosis through what he listened to, but when I hear Kiss today, I got to say, I think they are probably one of the most overrated bands in rock and roll history. (laughs) I don't think there's, and okay, Kiss Army, come and get me, but I just don't think there's a lot of substance to their songs. I think their songs are catchy. I think their songs are fine, but I don't think that they deserve like legions of fans. I think it's mainly because of their gimmick. It's a brand, yeah. Yeah, it's the brand. It's exactly that. So maybe that also colored how I wanted to react to this episode going in because I have very mixed feelings about Kiss. I have good memories about being part of when they started to get popular. But I, on the whole, don't really enjoy their music all that much. But I have to say, this was completely a departure. The music that, I guess, it was Velton that wrote this stuff.
3: I think the lyrics were Chris Rupenthal. Oh, really? Okay. Because in the script, the lyrics are all written out as they are in the episode. I think the only real difference is that uh, Fate's Wide Wheel was called Mystic Traveler or something, but the lyrics were almost exactly the same. It was kind of surprising. Well, I think that
2: when you listen to it, though, every time I listen to Fate's Wide Wheel, and I have it in my head, it starts morphing into Sweet Madam Blue. So I think that that is, Velton, is that a Kiss song? or is No, that, I don't know it. no, that's a stick song. So I think Velton oh, went okay. much more Dennis DeYoung than Gene Simmons or Paul Stanley. He went for that, that glam, that big sort of theatrical sound, and I, I think he nailed it.
0: I long for the past.
1: Just
3: a do you think that was because of what what he was familiar with or because maybe that fit scott Bakula's voice a little more or or what do you think happened with that
2: I'm going to go, yes. <laughs> Both? <laughs> it's all of those things. Sure, why not? I mean, I, I can't really tell you. I just, from hearing it, this is what it evokes in me as far as genre. Mm. It, it's it's not so much Kiss. Well, you would know. Yeah, and Sam, think about it. Yes, yeah, Scott is a much more theatrical kind of singer. So he does fit more into the sticks wheelhouse.
3: That had to have been really hard to get Scott Bakula like, into a style of rock and roll like that that fit his voice because yeah, it is a genre that you wouldn't typically associate with him. No, that's true. And M-
2: Matt, I mean, w- what's, what's sort of your musical background? Is well, this the kind <laughs> of stuff that you listen to? Or? Oh dear. This, you, you noticed I was being a little quiet there.
4: Um,
3: I, <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask too. I was very curious. <laughs> I, I
4: was wondering what point to mention that there's only one kiss song I can name. And that's only because it was used in Bill and Ted. Um, that, wow. that, that's the start and end of my KISS knowledge I'm so sorry Chris <laughs> I don't believe it
2: <laughs> uh, you No, know, You don't have to apologise to me
4: I'm the one who I, called them overrated I, I have to apologise to all yeah, At least you've tried them At least you're coming from a position of awareness um, I think the, the KISS army are going to be coming after me For just being an imbecile now <laughs> um, Yeah no, This, this isn't I don't know, I have quite eclectic mu- music tastes, and I I like this kind of music, but not enough to know which band it may be emulating, more or less. Um, and yeah, sure, I, I love the songs that are in this episode, but uh, yeah, when you start saying, is it is it a, a bit less Kiss, more anything else? I don't know. Um, I, I, just, I just know it's fun, it's fine, I, I can quite happily crank the music up on the soundtrack when this song comes up, and uh, yeah.
3: What's your music genre of choice? What do you usually listen to?
4: <laughs> Me? Um, depends on my mood. I, I tend to like a lot of cheesy 80s pop, um, which unfortunately Quantum Leap never really delved into. Um,
3: There's one good example, but we'll get to that later.
4: <laughs> yes.
3: You know what uh, I'm talking yeah. about, though, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: um, so, yeah, no, um, it, I don't really settle on a particular music type, uh, so when Quantum Leap does a musical episode, I rarely feel that emotionally engaged immediately. I don't have those preconceptions going in like Chris had, um, either to like something or to to poke critique at it. Um, I I just go in with an open mind.
3: What, what do you think about Talking Heads? They're pretty good. We... It's a good 80s band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I killed the conversation. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to go too off topic. I I, just...
4: I, I tend to be more the uh, Stock Aiken and Waterman level of cheesy. That's that's how bad my musical taste is.
3: What about Hall Notes? Oates? Mm. Love Train? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, wait, Which love train Are we talking Let's about stop
2: The this. OJ's love train Or Hall and Oates? I said Hall and Oates. Yeah Okay yeah I don't know I don't know that Hall and Oates did love train I had no idea
3: They did it And they used it In Earth Girls Are Easy Which is a very <laughs> oh, Very 80's movie I've not seen that For years Oh man So good
4: yeah. <laughs>
2: Allison, you, you would get along with my sister. She loves Hall and & Oates. And Hall and & Oates, you know, they were u- ubiquitous in the 80s when I was growing up. So I know all of their stuff. But I was, you know, died in the wall, classic rock guy. And these days, I still love classic rock. But I also love, like, swing music and opera and classical. So, I mean, I have a lot of eclectic musical taste. But if, yeah, my wheelhouse is classic rock. So all the stuff that they were referencing in this, I knew, you know, I, I have a lot of history with.
3: Yes, you'd be more familiar with, you know, what specifically they're paying homage to outside of the obvious.
2: Obvious is Peter Noon, right? Herman's Hermits. Yes, I absolutely adore Herman's Hermits. They're one of my favorite bands oh, really? of all time. I've I've seen them live with the Monkees. I absolutely love them because they're 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 out of their minds. They're off the wall. They made the craziest music you ever heard. And just that they could get Peter Nguyen in there to evoke that and then put that that <laughs> cheesy Muzak version of Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter. <laughs> oh, so good. Sure, what's on your mind?
0: You know that ranch I'm buying in Utah? Ranch?
3: I didn't even realize. That was, I think, replaced initially. And then they put it back. And I th- I thought it was still a replacement because it was like the elevator music. <laughs> I was it. like, what? <laughs> no,
2: I think that was an obvious broad wink to the audience, right? Because maybe they didn't want to pay for the rights to that, but get it, get it. Here's Peter Noon, get it. and Yes.
3: <laughs> he had a lot of fun with this. I liked oh, him a yeah. lot. I'm not familiar with Herman's Hermits, actually. I'm not very uh, familiar with a lot of old bands, but... Uh, but he i could tell like he was having a lot of fun with it and uh and i did listen to that song uh Mrs. Brown you've got a lovely daughter it was good
2: that might be one yeah. of their biggest hits um if you want to see how fun the band can be songs like silhouettes and of course Henry VIII or just uh Henry oh, VIII, VIII that is probably them? It's so much I've fun heard that. yeah yeah so I mean, just, they just have a weird, odd sensibility, and it's—I it, wish that Peter Noon could have had a little bit more fun or done a little bit more of a wink or nod to some of his iconic stuff, and that's just me as a Herman's Hermits fan talking. Mm. You know, it probably wouldn't have fit in the episode, but there was a lot of really weird winks and nods in this episode to stuff that was just glaringly stuck in there, so
3: it couldn't have been any worse. Were they as good as the Dingles? King Thunder did
0: play Omaha 16 years ago. Of course, then they were called the Dingles.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I knew. (laughs) And Noon apparently auditioned to be one of the band originally. Oh. And and then asked to... This this is according to to Noon himself. Um, Yeah, he he originally auditioned to be a member of the band and then when he read the script, asked to be uh, switched out to be the manager. Well
3: that's a more meaty role
4: right yeah yeah for sure I can't picture him being in the band
3: no I feel like that was the right decision,
4: but maybe that's just because he owns that role so well yeah 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 definitely I think it was just too old
3: yeah I think he would have stuck out you would have even if I see I'm not familiar with herman hermits, but if I saw him as one of the band I'd be like, you know I bet he's probably a musician or something like that they put in this role like he, even though he's not a bad actor or anything but i I think it just compared to everyone else, he would have stuck out. Would have been nice to have a genuine
4: British accent in the band. Just saying. You make the Beatles look like ants, yeah, aren't we? <laughs>
3: oh yeah. What did you think of the accents? Yeah,
4: better than certain other episodes that we won't talk about right now. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, wow.
2: See, I thought they were yeah. all authentic, but I, you know, I'm not British. And I thought they were going for more of like a Spinal Tap vibe anyway. So it seemed yeah, like a giant Yeah, this <laughs> goes
3: to 11. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah.
2: <laughs> One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder.
4: These go to 11. No, they actually, they weren't bad. I've I've heard worse.
3: I thought um, John, uh, John Grice, or Grice, he, uh I thought he did a pretty good job. But yeah. this is coming from mm. an American ear, so. No,
4: it's it's all plausible, just a bit OTT but that's true of <laughs> the whole episode. Man, Very OTT. But.
0: Walking
4: road! <laughs> <laughs> I'm Henry the 8th, I am. Henry the 8th, I am, I am. I got married to the widow, next door. She's been married seven times before.
2: This episode was filled with a lot of just hit-you-over-the-head cues, like, get it? See, this is what we're doing here. Get it? Like, I mean, the entire chorus of Fate's Wide Wheel, everything about that, that just was screamed.
3: That so on the nose. Right? Just <laughs> <laughs>
2: Like oh my god okay we get it Chris we get
3: it yeah like, and, but then again I kind of love it though but that's like, what I'm saying
2: and then when he sings it and I get into it after
3: it's just like wait this is really you know what this is great it doesn't matter it's <laughs> so yeah, there's good. something so fun there's something so fun about Sam doing this power ballad it bathed in blue light about how you know he's just a traveler and he can't stay and. You know, like, there's something really, really fun about that.
4: It's like they realized what went well with Somewhere in the Night and said, let's multiply that by 100.
2: (laughs) I will say this. I think that Scott's voice is much more suited to that adult contemporary sound of Somewhere in the Night. I think that they, like you said, Alison, I think they really had to sort of twist and turn to figure out what genre of sort of classic rock Scott's voice would be suited to, so...
3: Yeah. yeah. But you know what like Scott Bakula like he was he was putting his all into it. Like the genre yeah. is not I don't think it's best suited to him but he still put 110% in.
2: Yeah, and for most of this kind of stuff, from the 80s especially, and Kiss especially, if you can sing, you can sing their songs. There's nothing especially stylistic or difficult about, say, like, I Want to Rock and Roll All Night, or Christine 16, or... I mean, if you can carry a tune adequately, like Paul Stanley can, or like Gene Simmons can, not so much Peter Chris, if anyone has ever listened to Beth, but I digress. Um, I think <laughs> that... Uh, Sam or or Scott, he 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 did just fine. Carrying songs like "Rock the Redhead." Hmm. Uh,
3: if we could get into King Thunder a little bit, um, if we could get back to the plot of the episode here, yeah, um, I'll talk
2: about music all day. I'm sorry, guys. Yes.
3: <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Uh, it's very interesting to me because I'm not uh, I'm not as familiar about uh, with classic rock uh, as well. Like I'm kind of in Matt's boat. Like I know a little bit, but but you definitely know way more than I do. But um, well, one thing about the plot in this uh, with King Thunder, the whole uh, reason that Sam leaps in is because obviously his character is stabbed to death and he dies. And uh, Al talks about how this was huge news back then uh, in in the Quantum Leap universe. How like this was a really big band and someone was was killed, and um, and this was like a, a big thing. And I'm wondering why in the Quantum Leap universe, is this different than, say, him saving John Lennon from being killed? Because it, it would be a major historical figure as far as musicians con- are concerned. Well, clearly, John Lennon needed to die. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I see.
4: Oh, boy!
3: <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I, I'm not really a set on this rule, like, you know, like, that... You can't affect uh, major uh, historical figures or whatever, because obviously they break that rule later. But that does seem to be a thing, at least at this point in time with Quantum Leap. But because this is a character they made up, I guess Sam can, can save him?
2: Can I put it in terms of rock and roll? Um, yeah, of course. Okay. The reason you can't save John Lennon, but you can save Paul Stanley, I mean, I mean, Flash or whatever his name was, Tonic. Um,
3: was it, Was that the kitty cat?
2: No, Paul, Paul, Stan- Stanley? Paul Stanley was the guy with the black star on his who's, left who's eye. Who's the kitty cat? <laughs> the kitty cat is Peter Chris. Okay. <laughs> Ace Freely is the guy Sorry. with the silver on both eyes. And they were mimicking Ace Freely mostly throughout this episode because they both, they all had um, makeup on both eyes. And of course, Gene Simmons, who is, you know, blood out of the mouth and the tongue sticking out and the, the most iconic of that iconic band. But I think that the reason you can't save John Lennon is because John Lennon's music meant so much to so many people and actually had a transformative effect on the world. The reason—and if you saved him, that would obviously change things too much. The reason you can save a King Thunder-type singer is because his music's completely derivative. He'll go on <laughs> pleasing his fans— and his, his, his King Thunder army in a very inconsequential way until he dies of old age or some kind of overdose or, you know, just fades away. But it's still not going to make a vast difference in the, in the scheme of things in the world.
3: So, so you're saying, like, it, it was not as impactful of music and so it, it yes. didn't matter as much. Yes,
2: it, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of palaver. And anyone who knows me knows that I am not a Beatles fan. I'm not especially a John Lennon fan, but I think that the man and the band, I, I think they were all phenomenally talented, and they did have a lot to say, and they did cause a lot of social change and a lot of social activity. Um, just because they're not my cup of tea doesn't mean that they're not consequential. And I think that that's why you can't go into sort of like saving a John Lennon thing, because yeah, it's history, but that's the way in my head canon I fixed it. It's like King Thunder is a lot less... Um, consequential to to our society as a whole so Chris, as opposed to the Beatles
4: I think you've just gone a very long way round of saying the exact same thing I did John Lennon had to die <laughs>
3: <laughs> if he hadn't died then Sam couldn't have sang imagine to his
4: sister yeah <laughs> wait imagine wouldn't have been a big deal
3: yeah I guess that's true I do kind of Uh, think that... I don't think they ever really spoke this on Quantum Leap, but I do think they kind of went by the rule of, some things are just fixed in time. Sometimes people do have to die for certain things to happen. So sometimes, you know, let's say Sam leaps in and someone's already dead. Well, maybe that person wasn't meant to be saved, but there were other things to be changed.
4: Yeah, I always wonder about that when he, he arrives in the middle of a serial killer spree, and it's like, what... What was so shitty about the the first couple of people that died that he didn't turn up the day before? Um,
3: they, <laughs> <laughs> that happens a few but times. But I think, That's... like, you know, that goes into, like, the butterfly effect, right? Yes. Because, like, maybe not for obvious reasons, but sometimes certain things lead to other things and uh, it doesn't appear outwardly like the person should have died, but maybe it would have changed things in a, in a worse way if they had lived. It's It's what
4: Doctor Who post-2005
3: has referred to a fixed point in time.
4: And what that yeah. what that really means is the writers have no particular reason for some things being and some things not being, but yeah. Plot.
3: Well it's more exciting too, if it's like Sam's gotta solve a murder and not like he leaped in and then immediately got rid of this guy and yeah. everyone lived happily
1: ever after. Yes. <laughs>
2: And I, w- I would venture to say that Quantum Leap is uh, slightly less timey-wimey than Doctor Who. Doctor Who takes a lot sure. of liberties. Quantum yes. Leap was, was much more fixed in its premise on how the time travel worked. So Oh, no, sure. But still, they did what was best for any given story any given week, for the most part. Yeah, they stuck to the rules for the most part, but you're right, Matt. Why wouldn't he leap in to save all of the victims? Well, like Allison said, because then you don't have a mystery for him to solve. So it's because story. It's because show. Yeah. And there is nothing inconsistent
4: about this episode. Within this episode, there's nothing really inconsistent. But it does just bring you back to that question, okay, so why didn't he save John Lennon? Um, right. But but within the context of
3: this. Yeah, it's just because, like, you know, I, th- I think more of this is a real-world explanation in that, like, I always find it kind of strange uh, if they go into real historical figures versus people who are made up, you know, because if they had an episode about him saving John Lennon, be like, well, I mean, that's not how the history of the world went. You know, like if if someone that you knew was murdered, and then later someone did a TV episode, like, yeah, we saved them. And now the world they're just alive. It's I don't know. (laughs) I don't know about that. But King Thunder obviously was just made up for this episode. So, I mean, you can kind of manipulate it however you want to because it, it didn't really happen. Oh, but
2: you didn't know, Allison, in, in the original history, Mark David Chapman got Yoko, too. <laughs>
3: oh, I see. I don't know what this is a reference to at all. Yeah, I a Okay, here's a question I got about this episode. All right, so they got this whodunit set up, right? And we all know how well they do whodunits in, in, uh, in uh, Quantum Leap. So, one of the reasons that they suspect that Flash might be the killer is that if Tonic dies, Flash becomes the leader of the band. As if there's some band hierarchy. <laughs> he will inherit the leadership. Like, what is That's that about? That's how it works.
0: Flash would become the leader of this band if, yeah, if you went up with a big amplifier
2: in the sky. Well, it only has to go three ways. And actually, there are band hierarchies. Like I would venture to say that Don Henley and Joe Walsh have a much bigger stake in the Eagles than the other members of the band. They are just the leaders of the band. So bands do work like that on occasion. Um, In this, though, they made it like, okay, he would be able to play his songs and he's mad because his girlfriend is throwing herself at him. So I never figured out if we were supposed to dislike Flash as a potential killer or feel bad for him because he was an alcoholic who couldn't get it up or, (laughs) like,
3: what? I think he was just kind of an asshole. Yeah, he was an (laughs) asshole,
2: but an asshole we were supposed to like, an asshole we were supposed to not like. I just...
3: Was, I think they were all kind of, like, doofy idiots, you know, because they would do things that are kind of typical of, like, the rock and roll lifestyle, you know, like, ah, oh, dumb fans. Stupid
4: fans. It it doesn't matter, this is the only Quantum Leap whodunit that has more than one suspect. Let's just revel in that for a minute, don't ask too many questions.
3: The, this one does have at least, like, more of a mystery to yeah, it, because it, does. it can go either it, way.
2: It really does, and... You guys remember, I was telling you that I had only seen this episode maybe once, twice at the most. I honestly, on the first rewatch, did not remember how it ended, and I kept on guessing, just like the characters were guessing. And I think that 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 was one of the main strengths of this episode, if we're going to talk about the episode overall, was that usually... Um, For me, anyway, with the way Quantum Leap is structured, you can usually tell by the end of the first act where it's going to be at the end of the fourth act. You know he's Mm -hmm. sort of on this narrative path, and this is what he's going to do in order to leap. In this one, it was like Al and Sam were just stumbling around like idiots, wondering, okay, should we try this? Well, maybe that's not going to work. Ziggy says to try this. Well, it was so much more true to how they would actually be doing leaps in my opinion, than being on this set narrative track because that's what the story calls for. In this one, they were just haphazard, taking guesses, getting things wrong, introducing suspects, dismissing suspects, reintroducing suspects, finding this guy over here, I mean, the security guy. Was his name,
3: what was the... It was Whittler because he whittled Whittler.
2: I thought it was Whitmore. I thought they were naming, just like they named <laughs> the uh, psycho after Dorliak in the last oh. episode, I
3: thought they were naming him Whitmore because I listened to it a couple of times.
2: I couldn't get it.
3: It was a gimmick that didn't really translate too well. He was whittling things. so he's whittler. It could have ended with any of the suspects being the killer and made sense, which is why it was a better whodunit than they usually do. Yeah, much, much better. I like that Al suspected everyone. Like, he kept yeah. changing his mind every other scene. Like, no, it's definitely them, Sam. No, definitely them.
2: Dean had some fun with that. It's obvious. Yeah, he certainly did. And I think that both... Hmm. It seemed to me that both Scott and Dean were having a little too much fun on this because there was the, the, the one scene, it was right before they did my my favorite little bit with, with who? Townsend. Who?
0: <laughs> Townsend. Who? That's right. What is? Who? I Townsend. Who? Yeah, that's right. Pete Townsend
3: of The Who. Of The What?
0: The yeah, Who's Townsend. on first Her,
2: Yeah, the Who's on first takeoff. The Who's take on off. first with
3: The Who. How so? clever is that? <laughs> exactly. And that was, I remember reading in, in Matt's book about that scene. Do you remember, Matt, that it was a, uh, that that was an add-on scene?
4: No, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. That's all right. I'm turning to my book.
3: The episode was short, so they filmed that during Shock Theater to, to fill it out. Oh, yes.
2: Is that why it just takes place in like a random sort of backstage area yeah. that is so amorphous that it doesn't fit into And it, it works in the episode, but that's the scene that I was wondering, are they just ad-libbing here? Because it seems like they're just going back and forth the way friends would. It doesn't seem heavily scripted.
3: Yeah. I think it was largely improvised. Yeah, it's filler. Yeah, they're just enjoying playing
2: off of each other in that in, in that scene. So, hey, I'm glad I picked up on that, and it came one of. The, I'm sorry, that's the best joke of the episode. Maybe because really fun. the Who is the Who is my favorite band too. So it was just nice to hear them talk about the Who's. So. <laughs> you, you, it's your best. It's the best joke of the episode for now.
4: Go back and rediscover "Give Us a Kiss." You, you, you'll be laughing about that all night. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, I do have a. I, I do like the joke that they do when the girls are uh, coming into Sam's hotel room to uh, undress themselves on him, and uh, as he's kicking them out, the one girl like, "Can I keep the hat?" No, takes the hat
4: back. No, no.
3: Let her keep the hat. One of the girls in that scene was uh, Rena Riffle from Showgirls. Oh. Oh. she was uh she was in two quantum leap episodes she was also in miss deep south but uh yeah if anyone is familiar with showgirls the character penny that's rena riffle and she was an extra in in both of those ah
2: good spot which one was she was she the one with the napoleon dynamite sideways ponytail
3: i see you're drinking one percent is that because you think you're fat Cause you're not. You could be drinking whole if you wanted to. She she was, yeah. <laughs> she definitely was. I never thought of the Napoleon Dynamite.
2: <laughs> I forget the name of the character, the the girl that was in that. But she always had that weird sideways ponytail.
3: Yeah, during uh, one of those episodes of Quantum Leap, uh, Rena Riffle and uh, some of the other girls dressed up as sexy nuns for Dean Stockwell's birthday. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> She she told me this on Twitter. She's very uh, friendly on there. So if anyone wants to message her, she's she's really nice. She'll tell stories about sexy nuns. <laughs> that was also in your book, I believe, the sexy nun story. It does sound familiar. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, interesting guest stars in this. You know, like Peter Noon and uh, John Grease or Gries. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the guy who plays Flash. Yeah, uh, I recognize him because he was uh, the werewolf in Monster Squad. The Wolf has got <laughs> nards. <laughs>
2: You love Monster Squad. <laughs> and the kid
3: from Monster Squad that kicked him in the balls and, and discovered Wolfman does have nards, he was in the pilot for Quantum Leap. He was the, the baseball boy in the, the baseball part of that.
2: To yeah, foxy, Wolfman's got nards.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: Monster Squad. So many connections. Very <gasps> good for you. You can have Monster Squad settings like I have radio settings.
3: They have other people from that in this, too, like the doctor and Shock Theater. He was also in Monster Squad. <laughs>
2: We're going to have six degrees of Monster Squad. Now.
3: I've seen this movie once, by the way. <laughs> it obviously made
2: a vast impression on a young Allison.
3: Wolfman's got nards. Wolfman's got nards. <laughs>
2: I, 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 I'm sorry to say I've never seen it. I have never heard of this thing. I. Uh,
3: you don't know Wolfman's got nards. Wolfman's got
2: nards. Yeah, Monster no. Squad. Matt, Matt. Like I said, this this episode is wish fulfillment for white guys of a certain age. Yeah. Monster Squad is like the movie for millennials of a certain age. They <laughs> they love it.
3: You know what the thing? I never saw it as a kid. I only saw it like a few years ago for the first time, but I wish I had seen it as a kid because I really would have dug it. <laughs> but it's it's basically the Goonies, but but for like universal monsters. Okay. You know, like a bunch of kids uh, teaming up against Dracula with Frankenstein and there's a werewolf wow. and... And there's a famous scene where, you know, they're talking about if the Wolfman's got nards or not and (laughs) kicks him in the balls.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's see if we can get this back on track. Wolfman's got
3: nards. Here's a fun uh, script trivia thing. Uh, The girl at the mall that lifts up her top for Sam to sign her boobs in the script, it was originally Madonna.
2: Oh. Oh, really?
3: Yeah and they do like some like you know reference to one of her songs like like a virgin or something or material (laughs) girl i think maybe it was like material girl but it was really like shoehorned in like it made no sense (laughs) (laughs) that's a real material girl oh
2: (laughs) yeah i'm really glad that they 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 did away with
3: that yeah that would have been so dumb It's almost as random as like the Michael Jackson scene that they Michael Jackson in a bathroom. (laughs) We should go to hear (laughs) Rock and Robin with
2: that. So (laughs) so good, it's
4: cute.
0: Come on, Mikey, we gotta rehearse.
1: Bye bye.
2: I wanted to um, ask you guys what did you think of the character of Phil Silbert because. It was Which another one's thing, Phil? Was that the manager? No, no, no. Phil is the son, the illegitimate oh, son. right. And once again, they, they were throwing a suspect at you in a way that was just so screamingly on the nose for music fans and for you know that era, because they even mentioned Taxi Driver. The kid is carrying a camera like Mark David Chapman would, because he always took pictures of John Lennon. Mm-hmm. That's how he got close to him outside of the Dakota. And he was wearing basically the Travis Bickle al- outfit without the Mohawk. He had that army jacket on, uh, so it right, was yeah. reminiscent of taxi driving. It was just like, well, you guys are really cramming a lot of pastiche into this. And then put on top of that, every time they go to him, you have that weird slow motion synth music. Yeah. It <laughs> 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 was
3: so strange. All of that slow motion. Right. Dun, 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 <laughs> zoom in on Really
2: overplaying that. It. Exactly. It's like they wanted to make an ominous moment, they felt the story needed it. It didn't come through in the way they shot it, so they needed to give something to juice it. Or, Allison, you said this, this episode was kind of short, too, so maybe it was a way to expand uh, like, by a minute.
3: <laughs> I, I think they just thought he would be creepier than he was. Um, yeah. He was one of those suspects that, like, they overdid it so much it made him too obvious to be the suspect. Like, you're like, it, it would make sense if he turned out to be the killer, but it would be a cop-out. You'd be like, well, all right. Yeah, but it was I so guess.
2: so goofy though with with when they even do the slow motion dun 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 when he throws his wallet across the room.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> how does that fit in? And then it lands perfectly yeah. open. I call so. that
2: De- <laughs> DSX wallet is what
3: that was. <laughs> what a lucky break. I do like that Al got to do more with that. I like that he was doing some investigating and getting a little more involved. I feel like Dean Stockwell had a lot of stuff to do in this one. Yeah. Uh, even like when he's like on stage with Sam dancing, like that was a lot of fun.
2: How how often did Dean get to dance in the third season? It seems like every every other episode, he's he's just cutting a rug.
3: Yeah, they gotta get they get him dancing more than Scott Bakula. They just you're gotta right. get him busting a move. <laughs> <laughs> but I think
2: you're right. I think one of the, one of the great strengths of this episode was that they did focus more on uh, Dean solving the mystery and being on his mm-hmm. own, up to his own devices. And it was something that the show had never really done up until then. And I liked the way that they did it because it changed it up. You know, you weren't just following Sam all the time with every story beat. It was it was a way to break up the flow.
3: Yeah, well, it was it was shared more between the
2: two. Yep.
4: And I don't think you see that happen again that much. This isn't really a, a change for the show that's continued. I can't think of that many more examples where Al gets that kind of the center stage.
2: Well, one of there's there's a real great one in season five, which happens to be one of my favorite episodes, but we'll get to mm, that one. Okay. I,
3: I think just occasionally they come up with some good reasons for him to be able to be involved more, despite not being able to touch or interact with anything else.
2: Yeah. And, you, you know, it's kind of evocative of the scene in uh, Miss Melanie, help me, driving Miss Daisy episode. Uh, Color of Truth. Color of Truth, right. Where he, you know, Sam is just like, stay with her.
3: They should have used him to investigate things more because that's such an asset, the fact that you have an invisible person that could go anywhere in this time period, as long as it's, you know, you know like, okay, centre in on this person or whatever. He could go anywhere and see anything without anyone knowing he was there. Yes,
4: but how much cheaper is it to have him stand there and say, oh, Ziggy's told me... XYZ.
3: Do do the exposition
4: that way. It's so much cheaper.
3: Did it seem like Sam was more scared than perhaps it warranted for the episode? He was very frightened when he's like on the balcony and he's like, "Al, I I really want you to stick around this time." Like he seemed very rattled about this.
4: Yeah, he really thinks this isn't going to end well. I
3: mean, granted, I mean, I think anyone who thought they were going to be stabbed would probably react that way. But I, I, it just didn't come off as. Dire as perhaps they thought it would. Is
4: this is this the first time that Sam's leapt into the potential victim, and not just someone close to a victim? I feel like he must have le- leapt into a victim before now.
3: I'm sure he's leaped into people that
2: were going to die at some point. Yeah, I mean, Piano Man wasn't he going to die in Piano Man?
4: Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there we go.
2: <laughs> So there you go. I mean, again, very, very memorable episode, Matt. Yeah. Here here we are. Three shows later and you've already forgotten (laughs) completely about it. Um, That was the one with the song in it, right? (laughs) What what I I think what I think that sort of Sam's unease, though, is also what helped this episode feel like it was a little bit out of the norm. Because once again, usually he kind of knows what he's got to do. He kind of knows what he's up against. In this one, him being afraid is because they are floundering somewhat. So, I think it added mm. to that aspect of the episode. I didn't mind it. What, what really stuck out to me, it's not so much his reaction, but them pulling that schizophrenia condition right out of thin air. Um, yeah. And it was just like, ah, oh, that's, that's really just out of left process schizophrenia.
3: I don't know why Sam was so confused leading up to that. He said, Why would a stranger want to kill me? That doesn't make sense. It's like, <laughs> have you ever known anything about famous people? Like of course it could be a stranger who'd want to kill them. Like it doesn't have to be someone they know. There's obsessed fans all the time.
2: That to me seemed like the what did what did what did Chris call it last week? That that to me seemed like they were laying pipe. That to me seemed like dialogue filler. Yeah.
3: It seems like they were trying to make Phil seem more suspect by doing that, but it—it it was such a leap.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Even waiting for that, huh? And <laughs> <laughs> but more like weird stuff with Phil is this all of a sudden revelation that Sam has some webbed fingers.
3: Oh. What, what, what was that about? It's
2: like uh, Deus Ex Wallet to Deus Ex Webbed Fingers, like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I just don't understand why they needed that, but I guess, uh, all right,
3: it would fit in with the kooky atmosphere of the episode, right? Some of his proof that he was his son was like, I sing just like you, and I play just like you. Like, oh, good for you, man. Like, is singing ability inherited? Like, that doesn't mean anything.
0: Who taught you how to do this stuff?
3: You, all right? I learned it by watching you.
4: It's almost lucky <laughs> like he's a fan.
3: Well, and he had a picture of him with his mom. Why didn't you start that off right <laughs> off the bat? Like, hey, I got this picture of you with my mom. You guys got together that night. One and one is two. I think you're my dad. But no, let's uh, start maybe- with the singing. Oh no, webbed
2: fingers. Maybe we're related. Hey, he, f- he forgot to bring it that night.
3: <laughs> Let me just follow you around creepily with a camera instead of like, hey, dad. Let me just sneak around and then run away when you look at me. Ah, I just wanted you to admit you're my dad, but I'm going to sneak around. Sneaky sneakerton. <laughs>
4: Haven't we all done that when we're, we're trying to approach someone, we're a little bit shy, a little bit nervous. Yeah, we stalk them for a few weeks with a camera. That's
3: <laughs> that's
4: always been my like way.
3: What kind of goon? And then they're like, oh, he's emotionally disturbed. Yeah. I'm like, so maybe you should find out more about Phil before he invites him to be part of his his group. Yeah. Maybe let, maybe let Tonic get to know his son before he offers him a job. Really kind of jumping ahead of the game there, Sam. Yeah,
4: you, you almost expect Al to end the episode saying, Yeah, yeah, you saved Tonic, but uh, his son went on a killing spree and off the rest of the band. <laughs>
3: <laughs> because Flash just wanted to inherit the leader of the bandship. Yeah. <laughs> and Phil had to kill them all, protect his father. <laughs> yes.
2: And his legacy. It's plausible.
3: That that light falling on Sam, that effect, he was like a mile away from it. <laughs> yeah, he seemed
2: oddly nonplussed about almost being squashed. By tons and tons of equipment, didn't he? It,
3: but it didn't, it, the, the effect, it didn't hit him. Like, you see no, in the no. long shot, like, he, like Scott Bakula just reacting to nothing. Uh. I think that they wanted,
2: <laughs> they wanted to do that basically for the effect shot, so that that, that could fall through Dean mm. as he was standing there. And that's really the only reason for that shot, really. I mean, other than to say, yeah, well, now we can rule out Phil as a suspect, well, maybe more than one person now is trying to kill you. Phil could still stab you very easily. You don't know that. Maybe, you know?
3: Yeah. Well, I guess that maybe that lent more credence to the like to the security guy being the villain, though. I mean, I don't know. Did anyone really think it was going to be him? I, I didn't. <laughs> it was Whittler all along. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I did forget that it was Peter Noon. So what was the name? Dwayne, right? Dwayne. Dwayne. Yeah.
3: Oh, man. That reminds me of another thing from the script. <laughs> They had this line where Al says that there's trouble in Dwayne Mark. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so terrible. Oh my do, god.
4: Do you think they it's... actually like tried recording with that line and it just <laughs> didn't work? I'd, I'd love like, to imagine lame. Dean trying to pull that off. And yeah. Said, no. do you
2: think like Dean? Dean just stops the. He's like, all right, cut, cut, cut. Look. I'm Dean <laughs> Stockwell, and I can't make this work. We got to move he on. He did
3: the alphabet <laughs> rap. I think maybe he would be okay with whatever.
2: Yeah, but see, you just you just go on to prove the point even even more. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Dwayne Mark was too lame for him.
2: <laughs> it was too lame for it was too lame for this world. If Dean Stockwell can't do it, it can't be done.
3: <laughs> he did have the line going up to the big amplifier in the sky in this. One. Oh, the Flash
0: would become the leader of this band if. Yeah, if you went up to the
2: big amplifier in the sky. But again, it was all delightfully goofy. Yes.
3: I do like that the impetus for this murder is is because Sam's character bought a ranch. <laughs> oh no, bought a ranch and I used up all the money. I gotta get rid of him. Tried to buy a ranch, right? That's right, that's right. It didn't go through. Gotta
2: cover up my embezzlements. And I know that they were trying to put a message in there about how that happened to so many bands back in the 50s and the 60s. But it just, again, it it felt out of place. I don't know if that ever happened to Herman's Hermits. It'd be interesting to ask Peter Noon if he had any personal experience with something like that. Because managers did steal people blind all the
3: time. It made sense as a motive. You don't always have to have something super personal about it. you know, Like, you stole my girlfriend or whatever.
2: And I just loved, I mean, fitting in with sort of the general goofiness again when they ripped the wig off of Peter Noon. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it. <laughs> it was so Scooby-Doo. It was, Peter
4: it was Noon. amazingly Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Peter Noon having skinned Cookie Monster and wearing him.
3: <laughs> oh, man. That was so oh,
4: good. <laughs> such a good outfit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like
3: he stole it from the, the groupie from the, the woman that, yes. that kept hitting yeah, yeah. on Sam through the whole yeah, thing.
2: Yeah, she skinned Cookie Monster. I thought that she could be the killer.
3: Yeah.
4: I, I thought
2: she was equally plausible. I know that she was sort of a throwaway character and it was just to make it so that Flash would have a grudge against Tonic, but that actress was just so detached and creepy Yeah, in everything she
3: did. She does kind of have an evil vibe about her.
2: Right? Do you
3: think she yeah. was just
2: a bad actress? <laughs>
4: I, 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 haven't, I haven't seen her in anything else you, You're giving her credit for being detached
2: Emotionless
3: I don't know, she kind of seemed like I mean, a drugged out groupie
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. It did fit in well with the episode Maybe You know, she was just the right kind of bad actress Oh man, yeah. One,
3: once again There's a woman all over Sam And he's having none of it He's getting into a bunch of ding-ding trouble all over again <laughs> <laughs> Don't swim in another man's pool <laughs>
2: yeah I like that I like how Al has a line you know just like you can bang any one of the women in this room and why don't you you idiot but oh no that's that's Flash's girl no don't swim in another man's pool (laughs) even though she's throwing herself at you nothing to do with the women or what they feel like it's like no that's that one is his (laughs) that one is not yours Al has a complex but clear moral code
4: (laughs) (laughs) we may not like it but
2: it's there (laughs) Hey, speaking of Al, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Do you recall that this is the first time I think we hear him say "bingo bango bongo"? Yes, Sam.
0: If Tonic went bingo bango bongo with Philip's mother, does that- no, it wasn't.
3: No, the first time he says it is in Double Identity. Does he say it like "bingo bango bongo"? Yeah, like, he's talking about right? he's talking to Sam out on the street, and he says like you, we caught uh, him going bingo bango bongo in the attic.
0: Teresa.
2: This is the little lady you were bingo, bango, bungling up in the attic, huh? Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, oh I boy. thought I was on to something. <laughs> Never mind.
3: <laughs> it's, how sad is it that I knew that, though?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is consistent, though, that you point that out because he only uses that when he's referring to sex. And that yeah. fits right in with the way they established that in A Leap for Lisa in, what, about a year's time from now? So, sure. Spoilers, sorry, but a very minor spoiler.
3: Spoilers for earlier, the alphabet rap. <laughs> 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 I liked that throwaway line that Al has when he's explaining the story to Sam and he doesn't remember who King Thunder is, and he's like, well, you were kind of a nerd back then. You wouldn't know them. Anyway. I never heard of them
0: before. Well, you were kind of a nerd back then. You wouldn't know them.
3: <laughs> that look Sam <laughs> and- gives
4: him. <laughs> It was all over the news, but you still wouldn't have heard of them.
3: <laughs> you know the thing with Sam not getting the the whole like why would a stranger want to kill this famous person? You would think he would have come across something like that since he was famous before he leaped in so- somewhat. I don't know how like how many scientists or whatever yeah. would have stalkers, but anyone with any sort of fame has probably come across something like that.
2: There's a certain book. In the Quantum Leap novel series that deals <laughs> mm. with that.
3: wonder hmm, who wrote that? <laughs>
2: um, I, I want to know if you're going to give Sam sort of a Swiss cheese brain as an excuse for him not to remember stuff because then you wouldn't have a story otherwise. Then why not just use Swiss cheese with this? You probably don't remember, but this guy got knifed. It doesn't have to be, well, you were such a nerd back then, but it, it sort of goes to build a little character moment between them, so I don't
3: I don't mind mm-hmm. that choice. I, I think Al was just ribbing him about it, you know. He probably yeah. did know. He was just, you know, giving him crap. Like, because, I mean, I don't know, Sam forgets things that he remembers on other leaps. It really is just depending on the leap. Like, for instance, him right. not knowing who the Beatles are. Well, obviously, he did before, because he sang Imagine and talked about right. the Beatles. He, he met the Beatles or saw them in the blind... Faith, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's Swiss cheese in one leap is not necessarily set in stone. It's just it's what he remembers from leap to leap and it can vary, it can overlap. Mm-hmm. And I kinda like that about the show. But if he's such a nerd and he goes on and on in that great ad lib scene about this is not my kind of music, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, stick your tongue out, break your guitar, do you know, do the windmill. play uh, <laughs> but then, play then I not have a team.
3: guitar in the and the encore. <laughs> <laughs> ah! But if he's so
2: bad at this kind of thing and he's so out of his depth, how can he learn an entire concert set list?
3: in i don't know three hours because uh, he's a music savant <laughs> he he played carnegie hall he knows how to do any sort of music he's got photographic memory just instant he's got it
2: all the time all the time i know i can do anything
4: i
3: yeah. love that you know what this show is so ridiculous Sa- sam beckett is a nobel prize winning quantum physicist the next einstein but he's time traveling and got a Sing in a glam rock band All about time travel and stuff To save this guy's life Hilarious What's wrong with that? It's great
2: I find that perfectly plausible Thank you very much And this
4: is the point where We all realise we've been wasting our lives And this is the last episode of
3: the podcast, everyone Can you imagine, like, Stephen Hawking, right? He time travels And he's gotta be in a glam rock band
4: Rock the redhead. All night.
2: <laughs> I would pay to see that.
3: Oh, so good.
2: <laughs> I think Neil deGrasse Tyson now.
3: Yeah! Oh man, he would rock it!
2: He would definitely rock the redhead.
3: Let's do, let's do another quantum leap. Let's reboot it, but he's the star of it.
2: Better <laughs> <or> Michio Kaku. <laughs> I'm, now I'm just naming quantum physicists that other people might know. You know
3: more quantum physicists than I do. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think Tyson and Kaguya are, uh, are the two And, and you know, although he's no longer with us Stephen Hawking
3: You know, I had this great mental image in my head This can be cut, but it's just something random I thought of, like, what if What if uh, What if Sam had leapt into uh, Zack Attack?
2: Oh boy Wow, that's
3: so
4: random. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Man oh, gets it. I, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> he yeah, he's
3: dressed like Zach Morris.
4: <laughs> Suddenly, he's there in front of the whole school singing.
3: <laughs> he had like the kind of vanilla ice-looking outfit going on, but it could fit into yeah. like glitter rock. It's, you know, the sequin jacket and stuff. It's got kind of the same vibe.
4: It's a crossover waiting to happen.
3: <laughs> it should have. He should have leaped into Saved by the Bell at some point. I really feel yeah should have happened.
2: It's so milly vanilli. I don't know what you guys are talking. About. <laughs>
3: they see the Millie Vanilli reference. Oh my they god! Yeah. Yes. If it it works, comes to worse, do Millie Vanilli? Butcher. That's I think one of the most dated references in Quantum Leap. <laughs> do, if all else fails, do Millie Vanilli. Yeah, that that was fairly
4: topical at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. That that was a definite nod to the audience.
3: I love a good Millie Vanilli reference. <laughs> yes. It's almost as
2: good as getting Peter Noon in an episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rockers and Rollers, do we have any final thoughts on this episode? I think I've discussed everything I want to discuss, so.
3: I think it's good. Uh, it's yeah. got a lot of strengths to it. Uh, you know, the stuff that we nitpicked is exactly that nitpicking. You know, I, I think uh, this is one that's uh, worth rewatching for sure.
2: This good episode is a good quantum leap. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there was Nary, uh, from what I could tell, any kind of theme in this episode.
3: It it wasn't a heavy, dramatic one, but it still had
4: weight to it where it needed it. Yeah, we we needed some lightness after the last few weeks. Even uh, looking at episodes like Southern Comforts definitely had its heavy moments with scenes of beatings and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, it it was this was pretty much light all the way through. And uh, yeah, just really entertaining.
2: I'm going to agree with both of you on that. And it struck me with this why I haven't really remembered the last few episodes of Quantum Leap. Southern Comforts, I pretty much forgot about. Piano Man, I pretty much forgot about. And it's because they don't really focus on Sam and Al as characters. Um, it's, it's more plot-driven episodes. But on re-watching this again, I realized that these episodes, this string of episodes that we've been discussing lately, are the ones that establish a lot of the classic character stuff. That we associate with Sam and Al. I mean, Sam is the prudish everyman in almost every one of them. He's beset by temptation in every one of them, and he's avoiding it at every turn. <laughs> and it's a comedic effect, right? And Al is like love- lovable and lascivious and the biggest horn dog on the planet, and inappropriate at times, but this is what we know about these characters. This is the dynamic that I think is like the bedrock of what people think of when they think of Quantum Leap. And I think that they were setting the paradigm in these episodes. Even though they weren't specifically about Sam and Al, I think they did a lot to cement the relationship between Sam and Al that most people think of when they think of Quantum Leap. And I certainly used all these tropes I would say unabashedly in my novel. So,
3: <laughs> um, it, well, you know, I think uh, that goes into what I was, uh, I mentioned before that I think season three was their best season uh, as far as characters go. Um, because I, I think this happens with a lot of shows. Um, season one is really just. What is this show? Just trying to, you know, throw what something at the wall, see what sticks. Season two is where you go, okay, these are the obvious but solid things that we can do. Like I, I think this is something with the premise that if you're going to do this time travel body jumping premise, this is what you do. Season three is when you're like, okay, now we kind of have it. Now we can go for something just like, just try it and get out there and and do something ambitious with it. And I feel like season three, they had the characters down and they were able to do plots that they thought were fun or that were really strong. And uh, and I feel that happens with a lot of shows, you know, that you kind of get a little more out there now that you, you've firmly established your ground.
2: I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, good observation. And I think that is a great <laughs> observation to end the episode on. And since you've laid out so succinctly where they were going in season one and where they were going in season two and where they have brought us in season three, why don't you tell us, um, you know, Where they're bringing us to next.
3: The next episode is A Hunting We Will Go. Gordon. Gordon.
0: Gordon,
3: will you listen to me? Are you there, Gordon? Now listen, will you pick up the phone and talk to me right now? Please, help, help. Someone help me, please. Please, I've been kidnapped. He's my ex husband.
2: I gotta say, you know what? This is one I remember. I really enjoyed "A Hunting We Will Go" when it first aired, and maybe because I'm a Jane Sibbett fan, or maybe I just, I just for some reason this episode stuck with me. So I'm really looking forward to rewatching it. How about you guys?
4: Yeah, same here, Chris. Um, huge fan of Jane, and uh, yeah, I, I remember this being a really good episode. It's been a little while since I've watched it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to prepping for the next one.
3: Yeah, I enjoy this one. Uh, I say that about a lot of them. But I do enjoy this one, and I like Jane Sibbett, too. So
2: it's going to be good. Yeah. So until next time, uh, I've been Christopher DeFilippis.
3: I've been Alison Pragler.
2: And I've been Matt Dale. And Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. How's my British accent when I sing? Uh, oh, lovely fabulous.
1: <laughs> Ding, elevators here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris. With voice talent and contributions from Zoe Dean and Hayden McQueenie. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Allison, and Christopher DeFilippis. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual, and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baronspace production. Give
0: us a kiss.